Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional, and those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Today, we're going to talk about burnout. We've all experienced it. And it's been talked about a lot over the last year. Unfortunately, talking about it is only the beginning of what we can do to address the issue. Fortunately, we have an expert with us today to go over the issue. Uh, Today, we have with us Dr. Camilla Sipp. She is the Senior Director of Neuroscience Research and Science Content Lead for the NLI's education programs. At NLI, Camilla manages and oversees the implementation of science-based content into NLI's solutions ensuring rigorous scientific findings are translated in a digestible and actionable style while maintaining the integrity of the science behind them. She is a neuroscientist with expertise in decision-making, risk-taking, unconscious bias, feedback, habit formation, and change management. She lends her expertise to various types of work, from supporting consulting engagements to leading webinars and delivering talks. Camilla has delivered interactive keynotes, and briefings on the science of leading smarter teams, behavior change at scale, and better hiring practices for Fortune 500 companies across finance, consumer electronics, pharma, and technology. Camilla, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for the conversation. Uh, it's my pleasure. Um, to get started, the I want to talk about, you know, obviously the relationship between burnout and the pandemic. For one, you know, the pandemic is one of those things that's outside of our control and continues to be. Um, And I just want to ask you if you thought that that loss of control contributed towards an increased burnout. Absolutely. I think in many ways, the year of 2020 has been oh, has thrown such a wrench uh, into all of our systems, not only organizational uh, organization uh, at the organizational level, but also at the level of personal lives. And suddenly, basically overnight, millions and millions of people across the globe had to move from offices and desks to kitchen counters and dark corners of the bedrooms to set up their desks. And with that came a lot of uncertainty. Suddenly, we lost all the familiarity about what to expect, the security of our jobs, the security for our safety, our physical safety and our families, and also not understanding what is the playbook for this pandemic? What is the timeline? What is the end goal? We thought it's going to be a sprint of two, three months, and we're going to go back. And then every week was actually adding more and more uncertainty about the the, the timeline horizon that we are looking at. Because of this massive change and massive added uncertainty or unfamiliarity that we were experiencing during the pandemic, especially in the first two, three months, the the acute stage of, of the pandemic, that actually then translated into something uh, of stress from being acute to being very chronic for us. We we prolonged and exacerbated all the challenges that we would have otherwise at work to suddenly it it just got amplified on steroids, all the challenges from uh, unmanageable workload to maybe role misalignment or some cultural issues that, that employees and organizations are dealing with. So everything just got blown up and almost put uh, under a microscope when it came to actually understanding what is what is that we do? How do we do, do this? How do we do the work? How do we assess performance? What is the productivity cost, both on the human side and also on the organizational side? So in many ways, 
the pandemic 2020 just amplified everything that we've been struggling before to the level of um, really high, high consequences, both from mental health and and um, productivity uh, that managers and employees need to deal with right now and try to course correct and adjust to the new environment. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, and I notice you say amplify and not create. It can be easy to think of at least in the way I've been thinking about things as the times before the pandemic, um, almost as idyllic, really, I mean, compared to the way things are now, you know, but of course, burnout and stress were already major issues for the workforce, at least here in the States, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think that that, that's exactly um, the lens that we get because 2020 is so close and it has been so important and so salient and so heavy on all of us it seems like everything happened in 2020 that suddenly we are dealing with burnout of 2020 but when you think about burnout especially the workplace burnout job oriented burnout it actually has been a progressively developing issue that organizations need to work work with for years and years and back in 2019 was the World Health Organizations that declare burnout a, a workplace stress phenomenon. It's not a medical condition. There is quite of a misconception initially in, in the media that was around this. So the, the challenge with burnout has been, it's not a new challenge. It's not a challenge of 2020, but the 2020 added an, a much bigger lens to the challenge and added more complications because of the shifts that we had to make overnight and the uncertainty of the timeline horizons and what to do next and, and security. So it's definitely amplifying. It's I wouldn't call it create because that was that's an issue that has been there for years before and progressively getting worse. I know that it hasn't been considered to be, you know, burnout hasn't been considered to be a uh, medical condition officially but it does play a significant role in one's health, right? Um, what is your understanding of the impact that it has? Yes. So because burnout is not a medical condition or a disease, it's not the same as it not leading to medical conditions or, or disease or, or even mental disorder. And that's a really, really important distinction because when it comes to burnout and you think about what are the uh, what is that happens to us on the psychological level, the physiological level, emotional level, the really chronic stress that we are not really built for. We are built for acute stress, acute reaction to the stressor, dealing with the stressor and then completing the cycle of stress so we can move on and idle in some ways. That's the, the systems that we have is, is designed, are designed for that. Because of the chronic stress, the level of changes, psychophysiological, hormonal, neurological that happen in our, in our system are going to be impacting everything from how we process information, how we make decisions, how well we can regulate our uh, emotions. And that then translates directly to what happens to us at a workplace, how we react to colleagues, how we react to, um, to tasks excuse me, tasks and, and stressors and projects and performance reviews, etc. So it's definitely connected and it has a huge impact, uh, but we shouldn't confuse the two. And I think the one really important um, distinction that we should make a lot of the times 
we tend to use the word burnout colloquially, like I feel just overwhelmed and I feel overworked rather than understanding what burnout in a workplace actually means and how is it different, for example, from depression? Because a lot of the times the symptoms can be similar, but the, it's they are not the same conditions and they don't have the same resolution uh, when it comes to actually managing the two uh, conditions. One medical, the other one is not medical, it's occupational. Would you mind discussing those differences a little bit further? Yes, absolutely. So when you think about um, the symptoms of depression and burnout, they overlap to some extent. Uh, uh, Lesser engagement, uh, diminished motivation, problems with sleeping, problems with emotion regulation, not getting pleasure from activities around us and the things that we normally would be we would be doing and social isolation or the feelings of social isolation. A lot of those things are uh, are overlapping between the two conditions. But when you think about uh, even when it comes to, for example, pleasure and taking pleasure from things that we do, when it comes to depression, the lack of taking pleasure is actually across the board. So it's not uh, specialized, it's not localized to one aspect, one stressor, it's actually across the board from your work life to your personal life, etc. When it comes to burnout, the stressor and the dealing with the stressor is actually specific and it's localized to workplace, to, to the team, to the manager, to the organization or to that specific role that you are having. So it's, it's a, there, there is a difference and it's also a difference in terms of the remedies. For, for example, Uh, When you take somebody and you give somebody who is depressed, you give them the chance to take time off and for a week or two and you send them to Bora Bora, for example, and paid vacation, they are not going to be feeling the level of release and and the cloud is not going to be lifted just from changing their, uh, their place and changing their circumstances as much as it would be for burnout. From For somebody who is struggling with burnout, disengagement from the stressor, from the stressing environment can actually be quite beneficial and rejuvenating. So there is already an immediate distinction that we can make that, that, that is showing that those two things are not the same uh, and they can be mitigated with very different, sometimes simple, sometimes more complex uh, mitigation strategies, but they, 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 are, uh, they can be tackled differently. Does that help, uh, Jim? Yeah, that's interesting. So, you know, that's, that's, I think, something that would be very important for employers to internalize. Because I know they all know, well, that was one of my questions was, and I'm curious to see what you have to say. To what extent would you say that employers are aware that burnout rates uh, have increased? I would be surprised if employers are not aware because there's so much buzz and this information is widely available. The challenge I think that organizations are facing is twofold. One, there is a lack of understanding of of what burnout actually is. And there is a misconception that somebody, that if a person is suffering from burnout or is struggling with burnout, is that they are not resilient enough or they they are not strong enough or maybe they are not working hard enough. And that's actually, it's usually quite opposite. It's the, it's the high achievers that are struggling with managing the, the workload, the role and responsibility mismatch, the, the lack of fairness and transparency, etc. that is associated with burnout. It's not the 
I just have too much work to do. Even though, ironically, that's what employers, sorry, employees actually say. I feel burned out. I feel like I don't have enough time to do my work because that's what is the most tangible thing for us to recognize. But actually, the reasons for that are very different. So, so it's it's one of the symptoms that people people are drawn to immediately, but it's not the main cause. The main cause is actually uh, it's one of the five or six main contributors for burnout. And the other the other uh, reason, so outside of them not understanding fully what burnout really is, is uh, on the organizational level, I think is that the, because of the misunderstanding is the denial of the cultural issue that is at stake, that is contributing to burnout. Usually we tend to think that burnout is the individual problem is the problem of the person who is struggling with burnout, but it's not on at the organizational level is actually the cultural setup that is contributing to that. You know, there is a lot of uh, discussion about toxic cultures, about cultures that are not matching values and, and fairness and, and roles descriptions and how work is distributed, especially uh, uh, last year in the 2020, the attitude of we just need to do more with less because we have less resources. That is a very slippery slope that, that leads to burnout across the board in the organization because there is lack of, of fulfilling on other needs that we have uh, suddenly. That, that concept of do more with less uh, really kind of grinds my gears because it implies that we weren't doing that already. I think when you mentioned that there is one really important um, lens or tweak in, 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 in how organizations could be executing on that need. We need to do more with less. It's not just this comes at a cost. So basically, if we need to do that for a short period of time, whether it's six months, three months, and this uh, increased discretionary effort needs to be exerted by employees, which is also a normal uh, part of work, what is not what is detrimental is actually the fact that with that expectation, there are no other mitigating factors that are coming in. So when when we expect that from, from an employee, do more with less, there needs to be other rewards and recognition and, and some other benefits that offset that, that, that allow um, to meet some of the of the psychological needs that we all have for recognition, for belonging, for community, for fairness, all of those things that are there across the board, whether pandemic is there or not, if we just suddenly amplify the, the workload but don't accommodate the other needs that we have, then it's not necessarily a matter of the, the fact that we need to work more and there is more stress at a short period of time, is the fact that we don't necessarily feel appreciated or the effort that we exert is not met the, with the reward, either either uh, intrinsic or, or extrinsic, like the external or internal rewards that we get from 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 uh, doing that work. So the lack of recognition and value missed is one of the reasons why that model would is in in isolation is actually not a viable long term model uh, because it just it saps energy out of the employee and there is nothing given back in return. So we need to think about like the erosive environment and, and, and rather than uh, the environment that we should be paying attention to, which is the 
the one it replenishes the resources that are pulled out suddenly um, when you think about like soil for example and, and how we how we deal with agriculture there, there are cycles uh, that, that we need to do it and one one really a really interesting concept that I heard recently was the um, hustle and, and and idle or hustle and float when you do white rafting that essentially like there are stages in which you really need to paddle and make sure that you hustle through certain parts of the river in, in white white rafting uh, white white rafting um, and there are times when you need to actually pull your pedals up and let the boat or whatever whatever the, the, the thing that you're sitting on is actually going and idling and letting the river do the work for us. And I think it goes back to us and thinking about the optimal arousal that we have, that we can push and, and exert a lot of energy, but we need to have the time to recover from that and feel that we can replenish the, the resources to be able to meet the other wave again in, in a month, a week or two, or whatever the, the cycle would be. Yeah, one of the things that I've thought about a lot, um, and it's become clear to me as a, as a major trap that's extant in this whole issue is that we do have that little pit, that little, uh, uh, I guess, battery that we can expend, you know, and it's not an immediate expense. So if I'm getting overworked or, or overstressed from a number of factors, uh, your average person can take that for some amount of time before, before you run, run out and then the really bad stuff starts happening. And so what happens is if a company pushes their employees, at first it works in a dangerous kind of way because it seems, you know, people do have reserves that they can draw on to continue that metaphor. The problem is, is that it's not sustainable. So, you know, um, if you're not careful as a leader, if you're not careful as an HR professional, you can say, well, we pushed them and we're proud of how they, they did and everything's fine now. You know, we, we, we did it without the understanding that that did come in a cost and it's not forever. And it's amazing how long people can hold out to, especially since with the pandemic, the threat was do this or you lose your job. You're lucky you have a job. You know, before it was like 2% unemployment, 2.5% unemployment, you could just go get another job. I mean, it's not easy, but it was possible. Uh, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, it was like, do everything you can or lose your job, lose your insurance at the worst moment that you possibly could. Um, that's a, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous way to look at it. And I feel like it's too easy to look at it that way. I, I would totally agree with you. And I, in, in some ways, the reasons for that is a physiological and adaptive resources that, that we have, right? That was a, a ironically, the level of uh, adaptation that we had to exert over a really short period, period of time uh, it's actually coming at a cost. Yes, we succeeded to a lot of uh, extent, and we've actually showed that suddenly we can make work um, adaptable in different ways that was previously uh, really uh, pushed pushed back on. But suddenly what we also notice is that the cost right now, it's almost like now is the aftermath that we are seeing of this prolonged push that, that we ask everybody to do out of necessity. The mental health is the, the 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 rates are skyrocketing from depression to anxiety to also health issues 
that are that are not mental that are actually physical so there is a, a quite of an aftermath that the world would need to deal with for years to come with what we experienced in 2020 the other aspect that is that that made me think of when when you mentioned the short period of time is actually that our work productivity and outcome and longevity have changed quite dramatically with industrial revolution, right? Like the technology allowed us to work differently. Everything has changed and, and evolved to such an extent that years ago we were doing, our, my parents and, and, and grandparents, they were going to, they were starting a job at an organization and they were staying there for 20 years, 25 years. Nowadays, that is really not the case. And we are doing this short sprints relatively short sprints of two, three years or five years of organization, and then we change and then we change. And because of that blocks, the expectation is actually to take as much of that employee as possible within those three to five years. And then it doesn't really matter what, hap what happens to them because there's an influx of new coming uh, workforce that can replenish that, that position and then work the maximum amount of time with a lot of energy and a lot of new ideas for the next, you know, two to five years. And then the rotation actually um, contributes to this. Uh, I've heard uh, Dr. Christina Mas uh, Maslak talks about the burnout shop, that the burnout shop is really, really bad model for a business nowadays from a human perspective because the cost of that the corrosive uh, uh, environment is actually really really detrimental for us it's uh do you mind talking about the burnout sh did you say burnout shop what is that yeah so she's she's referring to uh, in, in her talks and in, in her research when we try to figure out what is what is the burnout uh term where is it coming from and it's coming from the burnout shop when essentially you have uh, something that you are producing that is that is limited in environment in in, in in the time and longevity, and it's getting depleted because of the lack of uh, environment that is essentially erosive. So, uh, in one of the examples uh, of that would be, um, gosh, I don't remember the name of the uh, the, the or bolt bearing uh, screws that are kind of like in when, when you eject the uh, aircraft to space they are actually because they are lacking oil as the as the time progressing and it's such extreme pressure on on that on that screw it actually gives out because of the lack of conditions so there is not enough oil it's too much pressure on that uh, on on that on that screw and it doesn't allow for any um flexibility and i think that it, it, it's very similar uh, when you think about the, the this burnout shop and the idea that is coming it's, it's a something that is coming from a um structural industrial factory that you produce something and but it's a short-lived because it doesn't have the room uh, and it doesn't have enough of the environment that that can uh, replenish it or help replenish it when we give up the resources yeah that's an an apt uh, metaphor, you know, that we become brittle when we can't, you know, and unable to change shape when we don't, when we aren't being taken care of, you know, part of me is like, okay, so many people got stressed out in so many different ways. They were, it was already a struggle before the pandemic. I really don't see a path back from this. It seems to me like things have probably reached a critical point where massive, 
massive fallout's going to happen or has probably been happening. And one, I don't think we really understand what that's going to look like. Two, I think it's really easy for people to ignore because they say, well, we're all dealing with it, you know, or it's just easy to dismiss. It's uncomfortable to think about. So we always have to struggle when things are uncomfortable with actually addressing them. What, what do you think the consequences of all this are going to be? It's going to be more than just a lack of productivity, right? I am a bit more optimistic, I think, than, 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 than you are right now. In, I, actually, I actually think that there is, um, ironically, that there is, there is so much room for change and adjustment. And it's, it's in many, many ways a wake-up call because suddenly with everything that happened last year and the transitions that we are going through, there is so much more noise around the need uh, for change from making organizations more human to understanding human needs, to understanding to shifting the old style of management that is associated with productivity outcomes, the widgets, something that is very tangible to, to actually understanding the different type of work that, that a lot of organizations are doing, especially when you think of, of office worker, that the productivity and the outcome that we are producing are different. And therefore there needs to be different uh, performance reviews, different measures, different ways of qualifying and quantifying that, that work. And I think that with that, there is a hope because we learn so, so much more um, about the psychology of human needs and what needs to be done, how to understand our, our, our biology that contributes to our behavior. And, you know, in the organizations where I, where I work right now, that's the main thing that we are uh, communicating and a lot there is a lot of need from organizations to actually learn and implement that so learn from 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 science learn from the psychology learn from neuroscience to better address the needs and the changes that need to happen right now so in many ways i actually think that there is more hope than despair going forward it's just a matter of we are now starting to address a lot of different things from social uh, injustice and, and the social reckoning that, that is happening to burnout, to the implications of, of workforce on or work demand on different groups. And I think that because the conversation is happening and it's happening very loudly and across many different um, uh, domains, th- there, is, there is quite a lot of hope, I would think, for change and understanding what needs to be done um, from an organizational perspective, from a leadership perspective and change of a workforce um, idea of what is that we do right now and how we assess performance and, and, and productivity. And ironically, when you think about productivity, productivity actually didn't drop in 2020. There was a, a small dip initially when, when we were in this triage situation almost at the first month or two when everybody had to figure out the most acute stage of pandemic and switching to to different styles but then it actually showed that the productivity was either the same excuse me or much better but there was a there was an increase in productivity because of the flexibility that people got to execute and kind of exercise and therefore allow them to work more the challenge is what you've mentioned earlier is that we really need to think about uh, what happens next because when we work from home, especially uh, right now, when there's nothing else going on, we can't travel, we can't go out and hang out with friends. We do work 
way too much. So there is a massive, massive needs for boundaries on a personal level, but also at the organizational level to actually both um, reinforce them and respect those boundaries uh, across different domains. And I think that that's something that we've been discussing actually uh, last Friday when we, uh, uh, I and my friend, uh, my, my, my colleague, uh, we produced a, a point of view on hybrid and how to make effective hybrid work and what that means to, to create something that is equitable, that has clarity, that, that expands on the autonomy that we got the taste of in, in many, many ways, despite the challenges. But now we want that. We want to have a say in how we work, where we work, uh, what kind of roles we can accept, etc. So, um, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic, actually. Well, it's good that somebody is. Um, I mean, after all, you are the expert. So if the expert's hopeful, I feel like that's a really good sign. Um, <laughs> I tend to be a bit cynical. I think it, it serves me well, usually. But it is true that sometimes I have trouble seeing past the, the wall there of what comes next. Because, you know, some other things are happening concurrently with all of this. One is that a ton of people lost their jobs. We don't talk about them because they're not employees, but their future employees, mm -hmm. many of them have come back. So their stresses are gonna be stronger. They're gonna have other issues. There's frontline workers, essential employees, many of whom I don't even know how they managed to make it this far, especially the healthcare workers, mm -hmm. especially in states that saw resurgence after resurgence. You can't go home, you have to be there. You don't, you know, you can't bring that with you. And then at the same time, there's been a serious lack of uh, availability of of um, psychologists and psychiatrists. Like you can't, a lot of people can't find them, you know? So mm. when people were going to look for help, um, it wasn't there, even if it was something that, that was paid for by their company, which is not always the case. And certainly isn't the case for people that don't, that don't have employment. So in my mind, all those issues add up to a sacred responsibility. And it's something I talk about a lot on the show of employers, because they're, they have the impact, they have the ability to impact the most people at once. They have a duty, in my opinion, because these are their people to make sure that they're providing them with the resources and tools that they need to be helped. And so mm -hmm. the question becomes, how, what what literally can they do? What would be, you know, I know everyone's a little different, but what are, say, three things that an employer can do soon to make sure that their workforce is, at least that they're mitigating this issue, if not trying to reverse it? Absolutely. And one thing that you mentioned before I, before I talk about the, the three things uh, that uh, organizations can do is that what happens, for example, the, 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 the challenge, the reason why I'm optimistic is not because it's going to be easy, but because we have way more clarity and it's louder and that there is so much more visibility of the issues. Um, and I think that that's the first step. It's almost like you can't address the problem unless the problem is actually uh, qualified and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's very clear. And I think that that's, that's where my hope comes from is it's there. You, we cannot ignore it, ignore it. We need to address it. And now when it comes to actually addressing it from the organizational standpoint, one is um, understanding, especially when we move into the, the hybrid workforce, the, the distinction between 
frontline frontline workers, essential workers, and the offices should not be in balance. We shouldn't, organizations should not over-index on the office workers and making remote work better to make sure that we can can mitigate for burnout. But the, the, the people who are on site, uh, essential workers, healthcare workers, retail, they need to be taken care of in with equity in mind, meaning that the resources, the access to, to, uh, to benefits, the access to growth needs to be equitable across the board in organizations. And I think that that's, we tend to think that 2020 was a struggle, but actually 21 and beyond, that's where the real challenge happens because we need to reorganize our organizations and way of thinking and, and uh, course correct on equity and, and uh, equitability and clarity, but also um, across so many different talent domain and, and organizational management that I think in many ways we have we think that oh we are over the hump when it comes to the challenges but we are just at the beginning and we need to get more um more thinking behind that in terms of how to do it uh, so i think that equi equitable access to resources and thinking from an equitable uh, perspective is going to be uh, to be one of the driving force to address the need for fairness that we all have the perceived fairness the the the, the, the fairness that we associated with access to and opportunities um, that others have, because otherwise we have a very visceral reaction that is detrimental to how we how we behave if we feel like something is not fair, especially in a chronic way. The other aspect the, uh, is uh, that organizations need to pay attention to uh, almost amplify or dive deeper into giving people the flexibility and the autonomy that we got the taste, the sweet taste of in some ways, despite the challenges, but despite the challenges, we also realize, oh, actually, I do want to have a say. That doesn't mean that we would, we would like to stay at home. A lot of the population of working, working professionals want to go back to the office because we are missing the social aspect and the social connection. And the social connection is one of the... Um, one of the reasons and one of the mitigation factor that can actually lower our stress at work the casual chit chat with somebody the hug from 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 a friend can actually be really really important to close the cycle of the stress response that we have to a meeting to to the boss not being happy with us etc that is kind of like the recurring recurring challenges that we might be experiencing and lastly clarity it's one of the things that we need to understand we've been actually advocating for that from the beginning when it comes to uh, to understanding that clarity is the most one of the most important thing because when we understand it's not the same as certainty and that's really important there's no guarantees there are no promises but the clarity and transparency of the processes the challenges the changes the role shifts etc it needs to be uh, communicated and communicated often and visibly to the entire organization to then go back also and, and address the transparency and fairness needs so it's a it's a multiple um it's almost like a three-pronged approach that we would have but at the end of the day the three-pronged approach addresses the core psychological needs that we have that all humans have 
for, for being valued, feeling significant, for feeling like we belong, that our contributions are uh, recognized, that we have fair access, and that also that we have a say in what happens to us. That's not the same as having uh, a say to, to uh, you know, it's not a whole zero-sum freedom that I suddenly we decide, oh, I'm not going to work, even though that, that can be a, a fear that a lot of managers and leaders tend to have when it comes to giving people more autonomy. But addressing human needs is the, the one thing, and you can do that in threefold threefold matter in some ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been, the. I'll agree with you that one of the best things that's come out of this has been the irrefutable evidence that giving employees more more um, autonomy has not led to the destruction of our civilization as we know it. Um, that's been great. I was just talking about this yesterday with someone, but one of the things that, one of the advantages we've had is how long this has gone on for. Because if this had been like three weeks or, or two months and everybody worked from home for two months, managers would have been able to snap right back to the way it was before and said, ah, well, you know, we were just pushing through and, and we didn't learn anything. But after a year, it's under undeniable that while there are downsides to remote work, that increase to autonomy and flexibility is clearly not caused any, any major issues. That's not been, that's not been the concern over the last year. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, a, it's really interesting because it goes against every unconscious or, or below conscious uh, attitude that we have, right? Like the, the, Flexible work arrangement is not a new struggle, and it wasn't a new struggle in 2020. Yeah. But a lot of the myths that we've had about um, flexible work arrangements and the impact on productivity, performance, uh, is actually have, have actually been, in, been busted uh, last year. So we don't really have an excuse at this point, rather than, and we need to just uh, course correct and mitigate some of the, in many ways, some of the, cognitive biases that we have, the power dynamics that is contributing to, to that level of thinking and the cognitive effects of power, but also the, the understanding of what is actually that we mean by autonomy, that autonomy is not uh, full freedom and anarchy that we give to people of, of, to decide whether to work. It's more about how they work, when they work, who they work with. And, and that's um, there's a lot of um, control that comes with that, that is given to uh, to employees, to to the workforce, that can be threatening, but it can be managed if understood of what is that that is actually what are the psychological roadblocks that that are forcing us to think of it or to perceive it as a potential threat to uh, to the manager's um, control, certainty, ownership of the product, etc., and then th their own accountability to their manager for for the work that is done. So it's a it's an interesting uh, dynamic, multiple, multi-layer dynamic between psychological needs and psychological biases and psychological obstacles that we face. So, Jim, is there is there something that um, that you would like to discuss that I haven't addressed about burnout uh, or, or the the maybe the cognitive capacity which. Yes, let's talk about that. That was the original. That was going to be the original discussion. We never even got to it. Um, Yes. Why don't we talk about what is cognitive capacity and what, what role does it play here? So cognitive capacity is essentially the 
amount of information or pieces of information that you can hold in your working memory. And I think that to concentrate on cognitive capacity may not be the right question, rather than we should think about it, what is the cognitive load that we can handle and, and what is the amount of information that we need to process that is not that that is uh, manageable, manageable rather than taxing? And this links to what you've mentioned earlier about uh, not only the four-day work, so we work less to be able to recuperate and and get the resources uh, back up, but also, especially when there is a high-stress situation or there are there are mismatches that happen all of this information needs to be processed and it actually gets added to the cognitive loads that we need to deal with. So for example, when we are trying to resolve a conflict or whether it's with another person or within a role, within a project, and our, our expectations are not met or they are misaligned, what is happening for us is that it creates a lot of um, cognitive dissonance, meaning that what we are expecting or what we are told doesn't match the reality and the other way around and reconciling that and being preoccupied with trying to figure out, so what is that you would like me to do? What is that is the expectation? What is the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all those questions that we need to reconcile actually add so much to the cognitive load of the actual work that we would need to do otherwise. So on top of the tasks that we would need to execute on, if we add that, the managing everything else what is happening that is not being uh, resolved is going to impact the cognitive load and the constraints of the cognitive capacity that we have in general are going to be really, really ta tasked. And by, by that, you are going to be impacting your precision, your decision-making power, your ability to self-regulate. It's almost like filling the cup too much that there's going to start spilling over rather than having a room to uh, fluctuate in terms of the, the things that we need to process and have in mind at the same time. And that is definitely linked to um, feeling overwhelmed and overworked, and it's contributing to burnout. If we have, if there is, I, I would think it's not the workload, it's not the cognitive load, it's the added unresolved conflicts that we are trying to reconcile either the cognitive conflicts or emotional or interpersonal anything that is that is something that is causing us a disconnect because that causes or, or leads to stress it leads to tension and that in consequence it's a kind of self-fulfilling cycle that we need to be able to strike out for, uh, from to be able to take a break and replenish those resources so so to allow for more information to come in you actually need to allow some of the some of the pieces to get out of your uh of your of your cap water watermark or whatever we are calling the whichever metaphor we are going to use essentially it needs to be we can't be working at 120 percent all the time with the water spilling from the cup because when that happens nothing else can happen there is no more room for creativity for for discretionary efforts we, if we are dealing with too many things at the same time it's a great concept I, I think it perfectly expresses, you know, that thing that happens, you know, when you have unresolved nonsense floating around your head, your brain wants to make sense of it. You want to be able to stop thinking about it. And if there's no resolution, it can't happen. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's, it's quite, we know that from research that it's both cognitively and emotionally taxing because as you, as you mentioned, 
the brain as as an organ as 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 as, as, a, as a machinery it relies on pattern recognition and making sense of things so it's the brain is a meaning making machine so if we have either we don't have enough information or enough data to make make meaning or the data is conflicting for us it's challenging and then this the 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 machinery is working to make sense of it and the challenge is that when that information is either flawed or we are missing, we are still going to make meaning from that, whether the meaning is accurate or not. Sometimes we fill the gaps with things that are either not real, that are our assumptions rather than facts, that are our perceptions or missed information. And we think that we have a full full um, access to the, to the data, but we don't. That does not diminish the fact that we actually are still making meaning and still trying to figure out so what is happening what is there you know like what what is my context what is expected of me what can i do what this person meant how did i do with this project etc so it's it's uh the lack of information is not preventing us from making meaning and the meaning may not be accurate but it's still very taxing for us especially if the information is conflicting and not matching um, to expectations uh, or, or beliefs and, and realities that, that we are facing. I realize we're coming up on an hour, but that's fascinating. And honestly, I feel like we could talk about this for for a lot longer. Just one last thing is the way you're talking about your cognitive capacity and the way that the mind gets stuck on things reminds me a lot of how trauma works. You know, people that have, I, I, I'm not a scientist, but I did study PTSD quite a bit um, creatively, looking at how artists processed their, their PTSD. And it was, you know, the fragmentation of their memories of the trauma would, would haunt them quite literally. They couldn't stop thinking about it. It was stuck and they're trying to find meaning. They're trying to find a way, a way to make sense of it. And it just wasn't available to them. Part of the, the things that I was part of were people using art to sort of fill in those gaps, to make something, anything that would would help. Um, and it's relevant because I think I've heard from a number of different professionals that the rates of PTSD are likely to go go through the roof because of the pandemic. Absolutely. And in, in many ways, so th there is research and there is also um, a, a group of uh, scientists and, and practitioners that do associate unresolved uh, trauma, especially emotional trauma um, that, with PTSD, but also uh, or, or any, any form of PTSD and unresolved trauma can contribute to burnout. It's not necessarily the unresolved uh, um, or lacking information that you're trying to resolve post-traumatic post uh, experience, but there is also the changes that have has happened that have happened to your system, especially if the if the trauma was prolonged. So you think, for example, abusive relationships or manipulative relationships; those are really long-term experiences that are changing the dynamic, the neurobiology, your hormonal and, and, and uh, neurophysiological signature that is going to impact to how you process information. And, and dealing with trauma is extremely important because 
we need to reshape some of the patterns of thinking and some and, and also understand where that you know like where is the contribution contributing contributing factor and how to mitigate that so not to translate that to everything else but i want to be careful not to uh not to say that um unresolved trauma is the direct link to burnout because the the, the research uh, is evolving and we are talking about burnout from a perspective of job work performance burnout not necessarily trauma uh, that is associated with uh, physical or psychological trauma that we've experienced but there there, there is some link but the link is still being uh, unfolded and, and and researchers are doing digging into this from different perspective um, so it's really interesting another topic of, of understanding trauma and the impact that it has with the the threat and the prolonged stress that we've dealt with and what that means for us um, in terms of our behavior, cognition, performance, perception that we come to any interaction or any experience that we have, that, that it's there. There are those nuggets uh, in, our, in our mind and, and in our memories and, and everything that, it, that can be triggered easily uh, and that can contribute to a, contribute to a lot of different, uh, different behaviors and showing up differently. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but thank you so much again, really, for taking the time. Thank you so much, Rip. Listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with your suggestions or just any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.